I'm Wade Foster, co-founder and CEO of Zapier, and these are our mission and values. This is a podcast about startups, why they do the work they do, and the principles they use to make decisions. I'm your host, Brian Landers. The best company cultures are ever-evolving, so the details you're going to hear today are just a snapshot of where the company is. Today, I am talking to Wade Foster, the CEO and co-founder of Zapier. Now, full disclosure, I worked as a product designer with Wade at Zapier, and I'm thrilled to have him as my first guest, so welcome to the show, Wade. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Uh, I'm honored to be your first guest. Well, thank you. I'd like to start by learning, what is Zapier? Zapier is an automation platform. It allows people to set up simple rules to automate little tasks that happen with all these different apps that they're using. So to give a concrete example of what that is, you could set something up that, for example, saves um, new attachments that you get in emails automatically to Dropbox. Or whenever you get a new payment in Stripe, you could dump it into Slack so you could celebrate you know, getting paid. Uh, so kind of just like these simple rules between about, we have 600 apps on the platform now that you can uh, hook up together and create these kind of like event-driven integrations, automations. That's incredible. 600 apps. Yep. That's a lot of apps. There are a lot of apps in this world, more than I realized when starting Zapier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For context on the culture at Zapier, can you tell me roughly how many employees and locations do you have? So we have 37 employees, full-time employees at Zapier today, and Zapier is 100% distributed. So we don't have a central office anywhere. Uh, everyone works mostly from their homes. Some people will work from like coffee shops or a co-working facility or something like that. Most of them are in the United States, though we do have, uh, I think, six people that are international, spanning from uh, the UK, Spain, Portugal, New Zealand, Australia, Thailand, I think are all our international locations. Um, so a lot of people in a lot of different places. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm curious to see how much being a remote company um, plays a part in, in your values that we'll talk about today. Yeah, I think it definitely plays a role into who we are. Like working re remote is kind of at the core of a lot of stuff that we do. And so it, I think our values... Um, I don't know if there's causation or correlation there, um, but they definitely play a part. Well, before we dive into those values, um, I want to know more about the mission of Zapier. Can you tell me what's what's the purpose and the you know the meaning behind what you guys do for work each day? Like, why does everyone at Zapier come to work excited to work <laughs> each day? Yeah, good question. So, if you go to our about page, we have this this saying that I really like. Uh, it's we're just some humans who think computers should do do more work. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, it, you know, it's it's just like this fun kind of whimsical phrase. Um, but at the heart of it is, uh, you know, we all just get kind of one life to live, right? And so it would really suck if we spent if you spent you know your job you know working on kind of the menial tasks, right? You know, copying, pasting things, importing and exporting things, the kind of the busy paperwork that honestly computers really are a lot better at. And so really, we just want to take the tedious work out of your job. Um, and today, that's all about, you know, workflow automation between apps. But as the company grows, types of, you know, products that we'll end up building are going to be around solving the, the tedium. Right. I mean, it feels like Zapier is at the forefront of automation and automation is becoming 
pretty central to the discussion around products and apps right now. Yeah. I mean, you see, you know, obviously Slack, I think, has really helped to bring this to the forefront with bots and the, you know, the bot economy and all these chat bots that exist and AIs um, that people are building to interact with, um, with, with Slack. And then, of course, you know, Zapier can help, you know, funnel lots of things into Slack and really any other app. Um, and so it's just, I think it's becoming at the top of minds of kind of mainstream and not necessarily on the fringes of the early adopters in the tech world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let's talk about values. Do you think that the values you've come up with at Zapier are in any way a result of or a reaction to you and your co-founders? You know, I think, I think values can, they can do two things, right? Like they can reinforce the things that you care a lot about and that are inherent to you, but they can also reinforce the things that you know you should be better at. They can help hold you accountable too, right? Which I think is important is to identify and know what your weaknesses are um, as an individual and say, look, you know, here's what we care about. And here's, you know, a, an area that we know we can do a better job at. So we're going to specifically put it down. And, and that way it forces us to kind of address our, our weaknesses. Yeah. And why did you end up creating shared values? The reason that we came up with shared values was to help us in the hiring process. I think early on in the company's life, like when it was just the three of us, I probably, I kind of scoffed a little bit at the idea of values. Um, you know, I'd worked at companies before where, like the values were things like act with integrity hmm. or, or have passion, right? And it's like, oh, great. Now that I've got passion, right? Um, you know, okay. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, they were like so, they were so divorced from my day-to-day as, a, as an employee that they were effectively meaningless. Right. And so I, I just scoffed at the idea of values. It was like, you know, that's, they're totally useless. Like they were never useful for me to before. But now, like having gone into it and started hiring people and hiring a lot of people, I found that sometimes it's difficult to know, like, is this person going to be a good fit for Zapier, right? Are they going to be able to handle how we work? And so really what values for us ended up being was trying to be a description of how we like to do things. So, you know, default to action, right? Well, the, the alternative could be um, measure twice and cut once, right? Like that would be an equally valid value to have but that's not ours. So the values for us was figuring out how does Zapier work today? How do we want Zapier to work? And then hiring people who exhibited those behaviors. So we would come up with, we have and still do, we have questions that kind of fit around these values that we ask people in interviews to see how they've solved problems in certain situations. Did they show these demonstrate these sorts of values. And that way it gave us a better sense of, is this person going to be a good fit for Zapier? So that's really why values have been so important is to, is to help with hiring. And then it also helps with like reviews and just, you know, as your, as your coaching teammates along the way is like, Hey, you know, what, what should we do in this situation? It's like, well, what, what, you know, the values can kind of be a guidepost to help you make decisions. It's kind of a helpful decision-making framework too. That's great. Well, let's dive in and explore some of those values. You shared some of your values with me, and I'd like to just have you go through them. So what's the first value you'd like to share with us today? Empathetic is one that is super important to us. One of the things that we do at Zapier is we have everyone does customer service. And so 
in doing customer service, it builds a lot of empathy for your customers, but it also builds a lot of empathy for your teammates too. Um, Because you look at what traditionally in a lot of orgs, customer service is looked down at as like kind of the low totem pole sort of position, right? Um, But at Zapier, it's not really that at all. It's like an equally important position um, because everyone spends time doing support. They see how challenging it is to interact with customers. They see how difficult it is to solve their problems. And they're able to put themselves in the shoes of the customer and realize like, wow, this product that we just built that we thought was magical, like it maybe isn't so magical. There's a lot of rough spots to it. Like there's a lot of imperfections to it. And, you know, we're causing the design decisions that we made and the product decisions that we made cause challenges for our users. And it can sometimes really mess up their day, right? Um, Hopefully not very often and luckily not very often, but it can. And so I think that empathy that comes from doing customer service and dealing with customers all day long really starts to help you out when you also go to interacting with your teammates all day long. When you're trying to, you know, make a decision about, you know, is this idea better than that idea? And uh, should we go with version A or version B? And there's personalities and there's egos and pride at stake. Having some empathy and being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes and see where they're coming from, it really, I think, affects like how you just relate with people. You know, you kind of understand where they're coming from a lot more. It just makes for a much nicer work environment, I find. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And environment's an interesting word when we're talking about a remote culture. So how do, how do those team dynamics work uh, in a remote team? You know, I think it's one of those things where, because everyone kind of knows that there's no egos at Zapier, like you kind of give people the benefit of a doubt, right? Like in, in Slack, maybe if someone types something really blunt, it like comes off as blunt because it's short, right? A short sentence. Mm-hmm. People tend to say, oh, instead of saying, oh, you know, well, maybe, oh, no, Brian's pissed at me. Instead of that being the reaction, it might be, oh, Brian's busy right now. And he just didn't have time to like give a a longer, more thoughtful answer. So you start to give people the benefit of the doubt instead of jumping to conclusions about, you know, maybe someone being mean or spiteful or whatever. You start to think, hey, maybe they're just busy or maybe they didn't have time to elaborate. How you might approach that as a reaction might be different, right? So like if you said something short and blunt to me, I might say, you know, I might react and say, oh, hey, do you have time to discuss this now? Rather than saying, hey, that was, you're mean, you're a jerk, right? Like you wouldn't do that. Instead, you would would approach it from a place of understanding. Yeah, that seems like a a good ground rule. Mm -hmm. So there are some things that happen naturally in a co-located environment that might be tougher in a remote team, like um, just getting to know your teammates better and water cooler chat, that kind of thing. Yeah. Is there anything you guys do to sort of facilitate or enhance that that value of having empathy toward your teammates? Yeah, um, well, I think, you know, customer service, right? That goes a long way because it forces you to, like, confront that part of yourself when you're dealing with customers a lot, right? Also, like, we do things like um, pair chats. So once a week, you get paired up with some random person on the team and you get on a chat with them and just learn a little bit more about their life and their family and whatnot. So that helps you get to know people. We also have this, um, on Friday, we do a thing called Friday Updates where people write, hey, here are some things that I worked on this week. Here are some things that I'm working on next week. But then people also put like an unplugged section where it's like, here's some fun things that I'm doing this weekend. Um, so you get to know the human side of people. 
And so these people that you're working with don't just seem like, you know, avatars, chat avatars, right? They're actually real humans that you interact with that have families and friends and, you know, parents and kids and pets and, you know, they're just like you and I, um, but maybe they live in a different place and they do a different job or whatever, right? And do you ever bring the whole team together? Yeah, we also um, do the retreats uh, twice a year where we'll fly people to um, the same location, stay in uh, a common area. And um, yeah, it's it's a time just to like get to know each other better and, you know, embrace that, hey, we aren't just all chat avatars. We are real life human beings uh, that exist in the physical realm. <laughs> yeah, that it seems like it'd be really exciting once you, you know, get to see people in person that you've interacted with daily. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's it's like it's super exciting, right? To get to to do those retreats um, and see people in real life, I get a thrill out of it, which is the opposite of like I think co-located locations where you go. It's like oh, another day <laughs> in the office, right? Um, whereas um, retreats in this way, it's like oh, so excited to see you. I work with you all the time, but now I get to see you. So it's definitely a lot more excitement when you get to do the retreats. That's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a nice benefit of, of the remoteness. Mm-hmm. Let's hear another value. Be resourceful is one that um, really kind of affects everyone at Zapier in, in interesting ways. And I think the reason is because, you know, I mentioned there's 600 apps that we work with. There's such a long tail of problems being solved that it's impossible for any one person at Zapier, uh, even myself or Brian or Mike, who've been around, Brian and Mike being my co-founders, we've been around from the beginning, and even we don't know everything. Um, and it would be impossible for us to know everything. So I think it's so important for people who want to come into Zapier and be successful to have this sort of resourceful attitude where they look at problems and be like, I don't know the answer, but I can figure this out, you know, and go ask a teammate or look in like we have tons of public or not public, I guess, internally public documentation about different stuff that folks can dig through and see and read and take advantage of. And of course you have Google at your, you know, fingertips. So you can use that to go find answers to different questions. And so we really think that is a very important part in people being able to be autonomous uh, because we have re- remote people working all over. So the fact that they're able to be independent and autonomous, it, they have to be able to be resourceful too um, when people aren't around them um, to kind of take advantage, I guess, of, of or, or to really be effective, I guess. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, one thing you shared was that you have this principle for being resourceful about defaulting to action. Yep. Tell me some more about that. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's there's kind of two two types of people, right? Um, there's the kind of people who want to research every last inch of a thing, and they want to understand perfectly a problem before they make a decision, right? And if they don't, if there's some ambiguity in the the you know the problem and or in their understanding of a problem, they kind of freeze up or they go do more research, right? And then there's the other kind of person who will kind of go figure out, you know, they'll, they'll learn kind of the, the nuts and bolts. They'll get like the 80% of what they need to know, and then they'll make a decision and just go. And for us, that second type of person is one that's a lot more successful at Zapier because 
in a startup and in young companies, you're never going to have perfect information, right? Um, you're never going to know without a doubt that you're making the right decision. So you got to be able to be in, in that ambiguity and just say, look, I don't know that this is the right decision, but I feel pretty confident about it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to take this step forward and do it. And so that's like been, I think, kind of at the heart of Zapier uh, for a long time. It's kind of just trusting your gut, trusting the information that you have at hand uh, and making a decision, knowing that, hey, it's probably reversible. Yeah, that seems like it'd be pretty empowering. And to have your boss actually encourage that would be pretty awesome. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things that I think comes from trust, right? Like the longer you work with somebody, the better you get at understanding you know, what that person's way of thinking is and how they approach problems. And so when they default to action and make a wrong decision, you don't blame them for it. You say, okay, I understand why you did what you did. And it was a good decision given the circumstances you are. So you don't, you don't get angry at them for making a decision that turned out wrong. You just decide, hey, we're going to just reverse the decision and we're going to change because it just turned out to not be right. Um, and so that it allows people to kind of it gives kind of some permission, I guess, to, to be wrong in places. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And speaking of giving permission, uh, one of your product designers recently posted on the Envision blog about redesigning Zapier's core product interface. And she was told, do whatever you think is good, make something crazy. And there were some pretty great results from that. Can you tell us more about what happened there? Yeah, I think in that case, like, you know, we were iterating on some things that just weren't they just weren't working. It just wasn't quite clicking, right? And so for her, I think just being able to say, look, I'm just going to whitewash it. Like we might, we, we're probably not going to scratch everything, right? But let's just pretend like we might and really just think of some divergent ideas just to see if something resonates. You know, especially when you're a designer, I think that's pretty powerful to just start from scratch and be like, look, you know, we're not going to write code around this. This is stuff that we can just decide tomorrow. We're not going to do anything with it. And so it allows you to kind of flex your creative muscles a bit. And sometimes, you know, maybe 99 times out of 100, nothing comes of it, right? It, it may be bad. But that one out of 100, you actually find something really, really good. And I think that's kind of what Stephanie was able to do. She was the new version of our editor. She was able to look at a past project she'd work on, which was our task history, and say, actually, you know, I think we can borrow a lot from task history that she'd previously redesigned and apply that to the editor as well. And it turned out that it actually worked really, really well. Um, and, and that's what we ended up shipping. So that was a great outcome. Um, has it ever not worked out? Yeah, I think, you know, um, I, I think it, yeah, I think product is a, a place where this, this doesn't work out a lot of the times, right? And because if you default to action, you're gonna ship bad stuff, right? And so when it doesn't work out, it's not because you shipped a bad thing. It's because you didn't catch it soon enough, right? You let it go too far down. You let it happen for too long. And so you ended up wasting, you know, weeks or months or hopefully not years. But I've heard of, you know, other companies where it's happened years without shipping something, right? And so that's definitely happened to us. We're, and we're always, we're constantly like having this internal debate, right? Like, you know, are we going fast enough? Um, are we defaulting? Are we moving quick enough? But have we also done enough research to know that it's the right way to go? So I think that friction is kind of healthy, though, too, um, at least a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Tell me more about this next principle you have in relation to being resourceful. 
have an impact, right? Um, you know, a lot of times what can happen when you're, you're resourceful, right? Now you've got like, you've been given this permission to default to action. And so you've got this boundless energy. It's right. All of a sudden, like the, you know, if you're coming from like a bad job where you're micromanaged and your boss didn't like you make any decisions, right? And then all of a sudden you get put in this environment where you're told, hey, you can default to action. You can do what needs to be done, right? It's like the chains all of a sudden kind of come loose, right? And I think the tendency for some people is almost to take that too far, right? It's like, I have all this unbounded energy now that I could go do everything. But what happens when you go do that is you end up trying to do everything, right? And you can't, and by trying to do everything, you're not able to have an impact in any one direction, right? Maybe you end up trying to sit in on too many meetings and trying to contribute to every team possible, but you end up having a very small impact to everyone. Um, or maybe you just have so many ideas that you're constantly in the beginning stages of something and never going deeper on something to try and get to the ending stages of something. So I think that having an impact really for us is all about putting your foot in the sand and saying like, hey, here's the place where I know I can have a really deep impact on the product. You know, maybe if, if it's in support, it's like, hey, I know that I can really move the needle by, you know, helping a ton of our paid users every single day or knowing, hey, I'm on the product team. There's a lot of products. There's a lot of product decisions happening today. But really, this one area is the time, you know, I've got teammates that are good at these other things. And right here on this specific feature is where I can have a big impact right now. And I trust that my teammates can have a big impact where they're working. That's kind of the what we're going for there with, with having an impact um, and, and the resourcefulness, I guess, that kind of goes with it. Mm -hmm. Tell me another one, because I know you have more... Um what should we call these things? Like sub values? Yeah. Yeah. I think the reason we came up with these was we found that like, um, you know, the headers like be resourceful, right? Okay. Well, what does that mean? And what, what does that mean in the context of my specific role? And so like these, these like kind of subheaders really help phrase it for, um, different teams, like, you know, being resourceful as a product designer or an engineer might be a little different than as if you're on the marketing team or if you're working in customer service or something like that. Got it. So like the next one, find what you need, right? Um, this one matters a lot for like uh, customer service where you've got customers who are asking you about things every single day and you've never heard of the app that they're talking about, right? It's like, I've never heard of this app, but I'm going to go figure it out and I'm going to become, I'm going to know more about this specific app and this specific problem than the customer who just emailed me five minutes ago. and I'm going to have a solution for them. Um, so you got to have that sort of resourcefulness and determination to like find the answers that you need to solve that problem. And you'll have an impact, you know, once you do that, just in that example, you know? Yep. Totally. Yeah. And then like kind of the last one, you know, be fearless. Um, this matters a lot um, for like the marketing team where at Zapier, we have this other, you know, value where we, we want people to be egoless and kind of leave their egos at the door. So as a result, we hire a lot of people who can sometimes be maybe a, um, you know, a bit too polite or a bit too nice. So like for the marketing team, that can sometimes be bad, right? Like when it goes to launching a new product, when you have to talk about things and you have to like put yourself out there, um, you know, we encourage people to be fearless so that they know like, hey, go ahead and email someone. The worst thing that they could say is no, I, I'm not interested, right? Um, as long as you're polite and kind, um, you know, there's no reason not to put yourself out there. So we want people to be ambitious and shoot for big things. You know, don't worry about emailing, you know, 
whoever it is, right? Like some big, some big fancy person, maybe at like Google, right? Like go ahead, email them, see what happens. The worst thing is they don't email you back or they, they say no. Um, so you just got to be fearless um, and put yourself out there. I love that. And I'm wondering too, as you're saying these words, you know, fearless and, um, you know, this kind of, what's the worst that can happen if you put yourself out there? Does that, does that come out of the, the found, the three founders of Zapier? Is that something that you guys exhibited early on? I'd say, yeah, to, to an extent, I don't know that we were great at being, uh, being fearless all the time. Um, I think to an extent we probably were, but we didn't realize we were being fearless. Um, I think we were just doing what felt natural to us early on, right? Which was like, hey, let's just build a product. We'll ship it out there and see if we can get people excited about it. Um, I think we could have been more fearless early on. Like, I think we we probably played a little too many, like, we tried a little too many, like, product hacks, right? Or, like, little tricks. It's like, hey, you know, what if we had this, like, fancy little CTA or, like, this this clever invite system when we could have just done something more normal and been just as effective, if not more and spent less time on a problem. And so I think in some regards, like we, we were probably not fearless enough. I, I like, Oh man, to, to this day are probably, I don't know if it's the biggest mistake I made at Zapier, but it's certainly a mistake we've made. We collected 10,000 email addresses for our launch list. That's great. That's a lot. It's a lot of email addresses, right? Um, but over the course of collecting those email addresses, we never once emailed them until launch day. So we had email addresses that were nine months old before we emailed them to say, hey, we're launched and ready. Uh, and that still like bumps me out because we could have had a much more impactful launch if we had you know, emailed those people even just monthly and gave them like a quick update of how things were going with Zapier. But we were too scared that we're like, oh, I don't want to send them an email that's going to be... Yeah, they're not going to like, right? But these people gave us their email addresses. They wanted to hear from us, but we kind of talked ourselves out of it because us personally, we didn't like getting email. So, Yeah. Tell me about the next value you have to share with us. Another thing that we're pretty keen on is, is being transparent um, internally and, and, and to a lesser extent externally. And I think this is really important for remote work because if you aren't transparent, it's really hard to do your job as someone who may not be around any other teammates, right? Like if you live in a city and the closest teammate is 300 miles away, right? How are you going to know the information that you need to do your job? So as a default, we're going to share the stuff that we're working on internally in public places where people have access to it so that when they need to be resourceful, when they need to default to action, mm -hmm. they have the information that they needed to make a smart decision at their fingertips rather than, you know, hiding it because we're worried that, you know, something's going to leak out to the public and I don't know what would happen. Someone steals our idea, our precious ideas or whatever. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. Well, <laughs> I think that's what mo people are most commonly afraid of when they're, you know, when you think about transparency, but for us, it's much more beneficial to share that stuff internally um, and to default to sharing that stuff internally. So folks have access to it. When they need to make decisions. You have this phrase in relation to being transparent, explicit, not implicit. Can you break that down for me? Yes. Um, so a very good example of this is like vacation policies. It's so hip in like the startup world these days to have unlimited vacation policies. But what happens with that is you have this implicit no vacation because no one talks about it. 
And everyone feels this pressure, like, I don't see my employees going on vacation, so is it okay if I go on vacation? And then if you do go on vacation, like, you're, you're seen as, like, an oddball and you feel really guilty about going on vacation or whatever, right? So our vacation policy is two-week minimum. Uh, so we force you to go on vacation. Minimum. Hmm. Yeah, for two weeks. So, right? So it is, we do have an unlimited vacation policy. It's two weeks at a minimum. So we're going to force you to go on vacation a little bit. And the median is about four to five weeks. That's what most people take. So the policy is unlimited like these other startups, but we've explicitly kind of put some guide rules in there so that people, they can know what's kind of socially acceptable and, and they can use that to make decisions about, you know, how they're going to take vacation. Have you ever had to enforce the, the two week vacation policy? Uh, no, we never <laughs> have. So, uh, yeah, but I think it's one of those things that, you know, it's there. So people like feel a little better about it. And then when people go on vacation, nobody's chastised or, um, nobody looks down upon somebody or anything like that, that you might see, you hear stories about happening at other organizations. It doesn't happen at Zappery. So people feel like it's, Hey, this is a, this is a type of company where I can take vacation and it's going to be fine. That's great. Um, how important would you say tools are in terms of, um, sharing your work? So I think tools are very important, but I think the particular tools that you choose are pretty unimportant. So like you probably should have a like chat program, right? It, but it could be Slack or HipChat or Campfire or whatever, right? Um, you probably need like some internal documentation tool. Like it could be, uh, it could just be Google Docs. It could be Hackpad. It could be Dropbox Paper. It could be um, a WordPress blog. It could be, you know, whatever, right? You just need to have something like that. So I think the particular tool that you pick is unimportant, but you probably need to have tools that you do rely on and kind of somewhat standardize on as an organization. Yeah, that's really insightful. Um, I would expect nothing less from someone who works with 600 tools. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, you know, the thing is that we've learned as we've worked with all these tools is they all have their benefits and they all have their pros and cons. They have their things that they're better at. And so depending on your organization, you know, this chat program might be better than that chat program because you have this specific need that maybe another organization might not have. All right. Since the topic came up, there, there's been a lot of discussion recently about synchronous communication, you know, like chat, you know, Slack, uh, hip chat versus asynchronous communication. So something like email. Um, what have you found important for the team at Zapier in dealing with, with communication? Yeah, I think you have to have both, you know, kind of the backlash, I guess, which is probably too strong of a word um, against Slack, right, is that you've replaced one email inbox with 90, you know, Slack chats, right? And so now you can't keep up with anything in Slack, whereas at least email was the, the enemy that you knew, right? Right. I think for us, what works really nicely is Slack is synchronous communication. So it's stuff that's happening, or it's mostly synchronous, like there is an asynchronous nature to it. Um, but it's mostly a, like, um, mostly synchronous and it's not, it's only for like quick decision-making, quick chatter, quick banter, and then higher level decision-making needs to happen on outside of Slack for the most part. And so we, that's where we use this tool called async, where we have like higher level discussions on things. It's kind of like an internal blog meets Reddit. Uh, the Friday updates I mentioned previously are all published in async. 
We have monthly recaps from each department that are publishing. So a support recap, marketing recap, product recap, get published there every month. Meeting minutes. You know, if a product team that's working on a specific project has meeting minute, a meeting that week, they'll publish the meeting minutes, what got talked about, what got decided there. That way, say you're not on that product team specifically, but the things that they work on do affect the things that you work on, if that makes sense. Um, like the changes they make are going to have an effect on your job. You may not care particularly to be involved in the minutia of what happens, but you do want to know the effects so that you can give them feedback and things like that. You don't have to keep up with Slack that way. You don't have to inhale the fire hose. You can kind of take the digest that occurs in async and use that as a way to kind of understand on a high level what's happening there. And then if you need to dive into the details, you can, but you don't have to. Do you find yourself as a leader um, kind of facilitating that process, just, you know, helping people sort of nav- navigate those different different types of communication? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, as an organiza- organization grows, right, there's a lot more communication that needs to happen because there's so many more nodes in the company. Uh, each person being a node and, you know, newer teammates aren't as in tune with like how communication has worked at Zapier previously. And also as the company grows, um, the way that successful communication happens kind of changes. You know, what worked when you were five people doesn't work when you're 35 people. So you have to approach it a little differently. And so kind of helping people know how to get feedback and how to get the information they need ends up being yeah a, a pretty important role of a leader or manager. In terms of the the sort of evolution of these values that you're sharing today, at about how many employees um, did you are, did you have when you finally decided to sort of codify these values? I think we had kind of a rough version around maybe 10 people or so, or at least started to put like the rough version of them together. And then as we started hiring more people, uh, the individual teams started to codify like their values for their specific teams. So like the marketing team has like another set of values. That's interesting. They're they're mostly shared. Like it's they they fit with the the company values, but they're a little more specific to how the marketing team functions and works. So they are different, but they're I guess they work together. They're not conflicting. They're augmenting. That's really fascinating. I, I've never quite heard of that sort of system, but it makes sense that you'd have at least guidelines for each internal team. Yeah, and I think it, this kind of comes back to my thing, you know, where I talked about the previous org where I worked at having these opaque values that didn't mean anything to me. If you're you're setting values at like the you know department level, um, or like augmenting the values at a department level, it really helps the company values mean a lot more to you when you can say, okay, you know be resourceful. Well, what does that actually mean as me as a support person? Maybe there's a better way I can phrase that for support versus phrasing it for marketing versus phrasing it for engineering. Um, So if you can adapt it and provide situations and stories that kind of like share how those actually work and, and, and have, you know, affect day to day work uh, on those parts of the team, I think it has a little bit more of an impact. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, returning to being transparent, there's one of these um, sub values that you've shared with me that just begs the question: um, Did this th- was this a reaction to anything? Um, and th- that one is don't hoard your work, <laughs> which I just love the language of because it's sort of I don't know. It, it's like 
if you weren't thinking of hoarding your work, you certainly would probably not do it now. But also just, you know, <laughs> if you're someone who tends to kind of want to work in isolation and then go, ta-da, everything's done, um, which again, maybe goes back to the um, default to action value. But can you tell me where Don't Hoard Your Work came from? So I another company I worked with a, a while back, we had this problem where we would go work really hard for like several months on engineering and building features. And then we would come out and, you know, like, Hey, here's the feature. Here it is. Right. And no one would care. <laughs> right. Mm, that's the worst fate. Yeah. Which is so disheartening to like put your heart and soul into building this thing and crafting it. And you think it's really good. Um, and then just to find out like, you know, people are kind of like, hey, well, that's nice. I feel good for you, but I'm never going to use that, right? Right. And so I think it really comes out of that where it's so much valuable when you're working on anything. If you're getting roadblocks or even if you're not getting roadblocks, if things are going well, you just need to periodically say, hey, here's what I'm up to. And just make sure, like, are we are we moving in the same direction, right? you know, building companies is a team sport, right? Like these aren't individual sports where you can just do your own thing and see how it's going, right? You know, if you were running a play in football, you wouldn't just go run the route that you feel like running. You would, you know, huddle up with your quarterback and figure out, hey, okay, this is the route I should run. And so don't hold your work is kind of like that. You should occasionally stick your head up and see like, hey, is my team still around me? Are they still going in the same direction as me? Here's what I'm working on. Are they working on the right things? You know, are we all on the same page still? Um, that way you don't all end up realizing, hey, we thought we were in agreement, but we all ran in opposite directions. Right. <laughs> and now, you know, instead of being, you know, one mile that way, we're two miles apart, <laughs> uh, which is kind of the worst. So I, I think don't hoard your work, right? Is mm-hmm. That's the idea behind that is that building companies is a team sport and you need to, you need to be able to share uh, to make sure that you're on the same page as your teammates. Yeah. And you mentioned there too, you know, feedback as the flip side of that. Cause if someone shares their work, someone else is going to give critique, um, you know, yep. weigh in on it. Um, mm-hmm. and this ties in with the discussion about chat. Um, yep. but so it, how important is that at Zapier in terms of just, you know, trying to get feedback on your work? It's very important and it's, uh, it's gotten, it's, it's more challenging. And I think that's why the specific language we use is seek feedback, right? Seek feedback. So Seek is different than like request feedback, right? Seek means you're proactively going to get feedback from certain people or for certain types of people to understand how your work or what you're working on uh, is going to affect them, right? Whereas it, whereas like um, request feedback is more of this passive thing that you put out there and hope somebody will talk to you, right? Um, and I think as you see organizations get bigger, right? Like there's a lot more of you know, with Slack or what have you, like someone will say like, Hey, take a look at this. And they'll take a look at it and say like, okay, I looked at it. Now what? Right. Right. (laughs) But seek seek feedback is really, it puts a lot of the onus on you as the person who wants feedback to figure out, okay, what kind of feedback do I actually want? Right? Like, is there a specific thing I'm trying to learn here? And should I, how can I request feedback in a way that's going to make it more likely that I get the feedback I need, right? So maybe it's sending a, you know, a link to specific people with a form asking them to answer specific questions. That way they know they, you know, exactly what you're looking for. 
Or maybe it's giving them a mock-up and saying, hey, I want you to take a look at this specific flow and tell me what you think about it. Ignore these other parts of the mock because that's not what's under consideration here. This is what's under consideration. So the seek feedback really, I think, forces people to consider like, how do you request feedback from other people instead of just saying the more broadly, hey, take a look at this. That's really helpful. Yeah, I would imagine that would lead to probably quicker feedback loops that are actually useful for taking action. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like the, this is like the internal company version of, um, you know, you've probably gotten these emails or, and probably even sent these emails. I know when I was younger, I sent emails like this, where you email someone and say, hey, I want to pick your brain. It's like, well, yeah. what does that mean, right? Like, I don't, nobody wants to have their brain picked, right? right. <laughs> uh, it's like, what does that mean? That doesn't mean anything. But what that person is usually trying to say is, I have a specific problem that I need help with. Um, so instead of saying, can I pick your brain? Just ask the more nuanced question, which is, hey, you know, I have this specific nuanced problem and I want to know X. Can you tell me what you did in a situation like X? Now it really helps the person who you're asking the question to give you a more helpful answer. That's great advice in general, I think. Yep. Let's dive into the last value you have to share with us today. Yeah, so the last thing is pay attention to the details. So the difference between good and great really is in kind of the little details uh, of things. Um, And so I think this is one of the things that can, can be really important you know, you think about like for us in support, this manifests itself in really interesting ways. Like, uh, you have say something like Basecamp has to do's, Asana has tasks and Trello has cards. So here's these three software programs that usually solve the same function at different companies, which is project management. Uh, and they're each the unit that they have task cards to do's, um, is named differently. So when you communicate with a customer, you don't want to make the mistake of saying, hey, your Asana to-dos or your Basecamp tasks or whatever, because that's confusing, right? Like that's not what the UI is. So you got to make sure to pay attention to those little details, because if you don't, it's going to confuse people more. And oftentimes, I think people, you know, the, the details aren't something that they think that, you know, hey, to get the details right means we've got to spend this inordinate amount of time, right? It's like to do something good and great, we've got to just spend this huge amount of time editing and revising and whatever, right? But really, you can probably catch a lot of the details with just a second quick glance through, a gut check, you know, go seek some feedback, go do this other thing, and you're going to kind of figure out what the right details are to pay attention to. So you still can default to action and move quickly and be resourceful and all that good stuff and get the attention to details at the same time. Thank you so much for sharing today, Wade. Um, It's been really interesting hearing about these little details of the values that you share. Um, Mm -hmm. And I could see how it would result in great things. And that's obviously what's happening. Um, Are you currently hiring? And where can people who are interested in finding out more look? Yeah, so Zapier's, uh, we're pretty much always hiring uh, these days. So if you check out zapier.com slash jobs, um, you'll be able to take a look at the, the current roles that we're hiring folks on the team for. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Wade. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brian. It was fun to be your first guest. You can find show notes at missionandvalues.co. The theme music is by Shane Inslee. 
you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and review on iTunes to help spread the word. Thanks for listening to Mission and Values. Thank you.